Global Bitcoin Fest. Celebrate Bitcoin adoption with Bitcoin communities worldwide. Welcome to Global Bitcoin Fest and Philippines. Today we're going to listen to a group of amazing Filipino Bitcoiners and uh, hear their stories about what's happening over there. And uh, Global Bitcoin Fest is a group of plebs that started giving away free sats in Latin America following Bukele's announcement uh, of uh, implementing Bitcoin as legal tender. We did El Salvador, Mexico, Cuba, Venezuela, and formed a little group of uh, plebs, uh, a chat that was engaging in organizing these spaces. And then one day, a crazy guy called Ricky uh, said, hey, why don't we do a 24-hour space uh, on the 7th of September when Bitcoin is going to, uh, or the law is going to go live in El Salvador to celebrate the adoption of Bitcoin. And um, we uh, thought it was a pretty crazy idea at first. Uh, but 12 hours later, the group started working on this frantically for the next six, seven days. And we managed to pull it together 24 separate sessions over 24 hours nonstop. And it was amazing. It was really fun listening to these awesome Bitcoiners uh, sharing their stories from all over the world. I think we had 18 countries, two different sessions. And um, after we were done with the 24 hours, we uh, thought, hey, let's continue this. Let's do it once a week. And so that's what we're doing. And uh, today we're going to talk about the Philippines with the Filipino Bitcoin community. I'm Lucas and I've been a Bitcoiner properly. For not much more than a year now, I did discover Bitcoin back in 2013, but I didn't really take the time to research enough. So I fell for unit bias, bought Feathercoin and Litecoin, original shitcoins back then, and I forgot about it. I mined a little bit of Litecoin and I forgot about it till 2017. Again, dove in. It was hard to really get a get my head around it, and then the fork wars or the block size wars uh, got really heated, and I got super confused. Went all in on shit coins and uh, ended up losing like ninety eight percent of everything. And then I didn't touch uh, the space for quite a while, and uh, wasn't actually until twenty twenty when I sold the shares in the company I founded in 2010, Scry.com. And I had to actually think properly about uh, how to save money in a way that's safe. And uh, uh, after having looked at everything throughout the pandemic in the beginning um, and the crazy markets that we we're, were having, I came to the conclusion that... <laughs> The only asset where I can uh, put uh, allocate 
my savings and not have to speculate every day to try to beat inflation and where it's not going to go to zero is Bitcoin. This is then I started spending a lot of time on spaces and uh, I've become more and more a maxi. So that's my Bitcoin journey. And today I do this for fun and my way to give back to the Bitcoin community. And um, also because it's just so interesting to listen to people from all over the world that share a similar interest. And I'm also doing a startup, which is not directly Bitcoin related. I'm going to integrate Lightning probably into my email app. And um, that's it about me. I'd like to hear about you guys and your stories. Um, So a short round of introductions where you uh, share maybe a little bit about how you became a Bitcoiner and what you're doing today that'd be super awesome if we do sherwin hey what's up guys my name is sherwin maxino um i'm currently in new york uh i used to be a nurse and i have since retired i got into bitcoin in 2020 uh during the covid pandemic and then uh basically what happened was i got tired of being a nurse um, for almost a decade, quit my job. And um, what's happening now is uh, I'm moving to the Philippines. I got dual citizenship and I'm going to be starting a Bitcoin mining company when I get to the Philippines, Uh, taking a short break from all the packing. And um, I should be leaving, I would say, on Wednesday. So see you guys in the Philippines very soon. Thanks, Sherwin. Miguel, welcome back. Please share a little bit about yourself. Hello, everybody. Yeah, so I'm Miguel Cuneta, and um, you know I've been in the Bitcoin space since 2013. And um, you know, uh, in the Philippines back then, <laughs> just to give you an idea, I think the Philippine there was a Bitcoin Philippines Facebook group, and it had 300 members. So uh i think ramon was already there at the time also um but yeah we've been around i've been around um the space the community bitcoin community in the philippines for for a while now and uh i used to work in a in another industry uh, it's kind of like how i discovered bitcoin actually um so i i was working in a poker um poker room right so it was like uh we started the first non-casino poker uh business in the philippines back in the early 2000s and i was there for like uh i was one of the founders actually and um up around 2013 in early 2013 some of the players were asking me if i wanted to buy bitcoin or exchange Bitcoin for uh, Philippine pesos because they were playing on this website called Seals with Clubs. I don't know if any of you guys know that website, but it was the first online poker website that accepted or was actually used Bitcoin. You know, I don't think I don't even think they even had any kind of like other payment method. 
So it was like Bitcoin was like thirty dollars, and I kind of ignored it. And uh, you know, it was like it sounded like a scam, like everyone else, right? And I saw it go from like thirty bucks to like two hundred sixty, and then crash um, in the in the April crash of twenty thirteen. So it dropped back to like fifty bucks, and I was like, "Well, thankfully I didn't fall for that scam, right?" And um, you know, I, I just kind of like lost track of it. And uh, around October, it started to go. Uh, it started to go back up again. I think it was like one hundred fifty dollars. And it was actually an article that I saw that said this guy had five thousand BTC that he used. Um, he bought for his thesis on some kind of cryptography, his thesis. And um, he found it again after like three years and it was worth like a million dollars at the time. And um, and I was like, okay, it sounds interesting. So I kind of like took a little bit of a deep dive. Um, Andreas Antonopoulos was really like one of the biggest resources back then, even then. Uh, actually, even now, he's still one of, a great resource for for Bitcoin, and I kind of like fell into the rabbit hole, and yeah, I'm still in the rabbit hole today. Um, I bought Bitcoin um, at like almost two hundred dollars for the first time, and I watched it go up to like twelve hundred in the same year, like in just a couple of months. And then it 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 crashed, right? And then I started um, SEI in 2014. So we were one of the first Bitcoin startups in the Philippines. Um, there was another one called BuyBitcoin.ph, and um, another one also called Coins.ph. And in 2014. During the the beginning of the one of the longest bear markets of Bitcoin, we started our company, and um, initially we started out with a payment processor for merchants in 2014. And during this time, um, it was really like kind of like a wild wild west for for Bitcoin. Um, we could just do whatever we wanted pretty much and experiment on anything we wanted without asking permission from anybody because there were no regulators there was no there were no rules there were no really like you know as long as you weren't doing anything illegal you could probably try it right so we started out with a payment processor that accepted bitcoin and we were able to onboard about 300 merchants during that year um physical merchants mostly and then you could go to a restaurant and, and pay with bitcoin and it was very clunky we used an android tablet and, and all that and a lot of a lot of the places didn't want to use it so they didn't even offer it to people and very very few people wanted to spend their bitcoin because you know it had just crashed by 80 percent so we tried a lot of things during these early days we tried i think six or seven different kinds of bitcoin products one of them was um, a selfie sharing website called BitStars. Um, people would 
could tip other people in Bitcoin. People that posted photos could get Bitcoin tips. And, um, you know, we were taking advantage of this uh, Philippines being the selfie capital of the world during the time. Um, it actually caught, uh, got a little bit of success. A little, I think we got like 5,000 users on the platform before we had to like kind of shut it down. But um, we had a Bitcoin prepaid card, which we sold in um, at first in like convenience stores, but eventually sold it on online on, uh, on one of the telco platforms. It was for five, ten, and twenty dollars worth of Bitcoin, and because of uh, tax considerations and VAT, we had to charge people up to twenty-two percent in uh, VAT and in uh, tax. And people still bought it, right? Even if it was twenty-two percent more expensive. Um, what else? We 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 got together with a group um, from the Visayas who were building an order book exchange, and and we were like, let's do that too. Let's do an order book exchange. So we worked together with these guys. Um, um, they actually eventually got into Boost VC and uh, got accepted. And um, eventually we parted ways. But um, we also, uh, what else did we do? Um, we started Rebit, which was a remittance platform using Bitcoin. So you would send Bitcoin to us and tell us who you want to give the money to. And we would deliver that money to that person anywhere in the Philippines, um, you know, every day of the week, that kind of thing, using using the many different channels in the Philippines for um, money transfers. So this was like our most successful um, uh, platform, actually. And this was one of the reasons why we got our first VC investment from Kakao, from South Korea. Um, a lot of the Filipinos in South Korea were sending money to the Philippines and we were able to like capture some of that market. Um, man, we also, uh, we also acquired at some point, I think around in 2016, 2015, 16, we also acquired by Bitcoin, one of the first startups in the Philippines. So it kind of like merged with us consolidated with us and um, we eventually also tried to launch a wallet it's kind of like a centralized solution e-money wallet um, we we had another attempt at, at doing another order book exchange uh, so I could keep going but I think you know the point was that during the early days we could really like we could really um, just try whatever we wanted and see what sticks and eventually we stuck with buy bitcoin which was a bitcoin only buy and sell website we did rebit which is a money transfer using bitcoin to the philippines and uh, these were like our two main um, services so uh, today i am uh, we actually got recently um, I've been talking about an acquisition with different, several different um, exchanges, and there's a lot of uh, attention on the Philippines right now, like more than ever in my experience in the last eight years. Um, there's some serious players that want to come in to the Philippines. 
Um, I would say the biggest exchanges in the world are looking at the Philippines right now and setting up here. And, um, you know, a lot of it has to do with um, a lot of different factors that, that make the Philippines like this really like this melting pot for this kind of technology to take hold. Um, yeah, I don't know if uh, I should keep going, but uh, maybe other people can go if, you know, can keep going later. That was awesome flow, Miguel. Thank you so much. And yes, we'll we'll continue in 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 a moment. Um, but very interesting. It seems like you've done really many startups in Bitcoin already. Um, <laughs> Ramon. Um, so similar to Miguel, I, I heard about Bitcoin early. So my background is in tech, right? So the the, the things I'd follow were quite tech related. Um, I learned about Bitcoin uh, pretty early in 2011 through This Week in Tech. It's a podcast. And they were talking about an article that Jason Calacanis wrote called The Most Dangerous Project You've Ever Seen. And it was about Bitcoin. Um, I wish I understood it early, like everybody else. And w when I first bought, like it, it took me a whole year to, to buy. I couldn't find I didn't know where to buy, essentially. Um, and even then, I bought very, very little because I didn't want to be scammed, right? Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't know what Bitcoin was even a full year later. And, um, you know, I noticed with, with a lot of tech people, we, we tend to look at the tech very often and miss the, the economics part. And, and I think, you know, from from 2012 all the way till I'd say as late as 2018 or even early 2019, I, I was just in crypto land, right? Like I, I you know, whenever someone would say faster TPS, I, I'd look at that. Um, but in between Bitcoin never left my sites. Um, I would say I, I still concentrated that on the most, but I, a lot of, a lot of distractions. And uh, in 2016, we, you know, started this uh, company that that would also do uh, remittances enabled by a uh, Bitcoin, like Rebit, and uh, and that's still going on today. And today we're seeing a lot of uh, different different interests in this country, which I suppose we can talk about later. Thank you, Ramon. Mary, hey, what's up? Hi, um, hi, everyone. Okay, um, I, you know, it's kind of my story is a little different. <laughs> um, I'm I'm Mary, and I'm half Filipino, um, and I've been into Bitcoin seriously for the past um, year and a half, two years or so. Um, I currently work with a Bitcoin company called Bitnob, and I host um, their podcast called The Knobcast, where we um, interview uh, Bitcoiners and hear their stories. <laughs> yeah, so so far, Lucas has been on the show, and um, Sharon has been on the show. So um, I'm super happy to be here. Um, I'm, I have like this, uh, I started getting very curious about what it's like um, in the Philippines regarding Bitcoin. Oh, and I'm, I'm based in Lagos, Nigeria, by the way. But 
I have family in the Philippines and um, I started considering like what it's like in um, the Bitcoin space in the Philippines when we were trying to um, send money home and we followed this insane process, which took literally four or five days. Um, and I was like, man, I wish there was an easier way to do this. I wish my relatives knew more about Bitcoin. And that's mainly the reason why I'm here in this space. Um, I don't know, maybe just for context, let me just share the whole insane process. Um, so my dad, who is the Nigerian, he had to reach out to a Filipino, to someone in the Filipino community here in Lagos, Nigeria, and who was traveling to the Philippines. Um, once he found the Filipino going to the Philippines, he sent money to his local account here in Nigeria um, and in denominated in dollars. And then when that um, man arrived the Philippines, he just withdrew money from his local Filipino bank account to send the money to my relatives um, in, in the Philippines. So it was really insane. It took about four or five days-ish. And um, yeah, so that's basically my story. And I hope to learn more about how um, Bitcoin is in the Philippines. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. So I suggest that we uh, start with diving a little bit into uh, the Philippines before we get back to more Bitcoin history. I would be curious to hear how how long has the country uh, been in, in its current form? Like, what's the monetary history? Um, say a rundown um, for somebody that doesn't know that much about Philippines. Um, who, who feels they could kick that off? Anyone? I volunteer uh, Ramon. The, he, he did such a great job last time. Um, if, you, if you would, Ramon. Sure. I'll, I'll be happy to. And, and I'm no historian, so I'll share what I know. So, so before, like maybe before 15, 1500s, um, we were just trading with our neighboring countries like Indonesia. You know, we share a lot of uh, Filipino words or, or words with them. And we would, a lot of it was barter, but some of it was also like these little balls of gold, right? But um, when the, the Spanish came uh, in, in the 1500s and they ended up staying here for about 300 years. And so that's when we, we finally got uh, what we call the peso today, which is why we share the name with a lot of um, uh, Hispanic countries. Uh, and then finally, uh, uh, in in around 1900, there was like many of you have probably heard the Spanish-American War, where the U.S. bought the the Philippines for like 30 million dollars or something like that from Spain, um, and the U.S. colonized the Philippines for, for about 50 years till around the Second World War. And that's why uh, we today mostly understand and, and speak English. A lot of our content is in American English. Um, but money-wise, you know, we had our peso pegged to the dollar. And then, but when, when during World War II, the, the Japanese invaded. And they also instituted a, 
they I think they called it like Mickey Mouse money, right? So it was it was basically play money, um, but but the Filipinos had to use it. Um, and then so after that, we we after World War Two, we finally got our independence, and the peso. Um, has been in steady decline since then. You know, from one peso to one dollar, it is now like 52. We were hit pretty bad by the Asian financial crisis. That's when the peso jumped from 25 to 50. And, and I remember that. I was around then. Just I, I wasn't old enough to, to really understand the consequences. And so, you know, inflation is something that Filipinos are quite aware of. But I think most still don't know what to do about it. So how many currencies has the Philippines had, say, in the past 100 years? Oh, well, in the past 100 years, I, I mean, I, I mentioned maybe like two or, yeah, about two. But, you know, they, they come in different forms, right? Like, like today's currencies, even the U.S. dollar, people will think that the dollar before 1971 is the same as the dollar after because it has the same name, but it's, it's really different. So uh, as to the, the qualitative as change in the peso, I couldn't really say, but at least by, by name, just, just two, I, I understand, um, the, the Philippine peso and then the money that uh, the Japanese made us use. Hey Miguel. Yeah, like um, yeah, so you were asking about like a little bit of a background about like the Philippines, like in general, the people, the country itself. And uh, you know, I was born and raised here. I've been living here for like 41 years. <laughs> and um it, it's a very interesting country, the Philippines, because you know, right now we have a hundred, I think 110 million people. Half of the people are below 24 years old. And so we have a very young population. Um, like Ramon said earlier, we were colonized by Spain for like 333 years. So for the longest time, um, you know, we were under Spanish rule and we weren't educated. We weren't, uh, only the elites had like education and, and that kind of thing. And then the Americans came and they took over, they bought the Philippines for like $20 million and had a fake war. And we were the we we're actually the only country in the world that was ever officially colonized by the U.S. And this was for fifty years. And the good thing about that was, even though you know we were colonized, they they brought in some education, public school education, and and, and a bunch of different things. So right now, Filipinos have a lot of American influence. Like America is a is a big. Um, there was a survey that uh you know which countries love america the most and philippines is number two um and america was number three <laughs> so um actually um we have a lot of western influence and a lot of like interestingly filipinos love basketball more than football even though spain was here for 300 years so you kind of like get that idea that we are more influenced by the u.s than we are by spain and in terms of the islands, right, 7,000, what's the number? It changes. It depends on the tide, right? But um, if, if there are actually 
several, I don't know if it's several dozen or even like hundreds of languages in the Philippines. Like each region has their own language. Like if I go to the Visayas, I would, if I, if I didn't speak English, if I only spoke Tagalog or Filipino, a lot of the people there wouldn't be able to understand. I wouldn't be able to communicate with people down down south. And even in the north here in Luzon, I could go to, I could drive for like four hours and go to a place where people didn't understand me anymore because they were also speaking Ilocano or, you know, some kind of like another language, like a totally different language. So that kind of like, you know, is very interesting uh, in terms of like, you know, how do you get all these people to become united, right? Or how do you get them to like agree on, on one thing if they're all sp speaking different languages? But um, in terms of our economy, um, we are right now, 10% uh, of our GDP comes from uh, remittances. So like uh, Dustin mentioned earlier, a lot, of a lot of Filipinos work abroad. Our biggest export is humans. <laughs> we have more than 10% of our population working abroad. That's kind of insane. And almost everywhere in the world, you'll, you'll see a Filipino um, working somewhere. And they're sending home more than $30 billion every year to, to feed their families, to pretty much like um, a lot of these jobs are, you know, domestic helpers, um, kind of like uh, nurses. maids. You know, like, yeah, hello, sorry. Nurses. Oh, yeah, a lot of nurses. A lot of, like in the Middle East, there's a lot of engineers. So there's a huge brain drain as well. Like a lot of smart Filipinos leave the country because there's not a lot of opportunities here. And, you know, like like you said, nurses, right? Some doctors leave the Philippines to become nurses in America, for example. So there's that. And um, that is like one of the opportunities why we actually thought maybe remittances would be a good thing to use, uh, to tackle with Bitcoin, right? And ideally, if, if everybody was using a Bitcoin wallet, you don't need to use Western Union. Um, you don't need to use uh, MoneyGram. If you had, a, like uh, Dustin said, a circular economy with Bitcoin, that's the dream, right? But it's uh, it's going to be hard to get there. But, you know, we can try, right? And in terms of, um, like, uh, the Philippine government, <laughs> um, we're it's, it's pretty it's pretty corrupt here. Uh, I don't know if it's comparable what we could compare it to, um, but here, if you have money, you can get away with a lot of things. Um, if you are a politician, if you're involved in 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 positions of power, you could get rich very quickly. Uh, but the thing is, like. Filipinos, Filipinos are a very happy people. Like there are some numbers out there, some surveys, some studies about uh, Philippines being one of the happiest countries on earth where the people, even though they are poor, even though they are, you know, half of the country is actually living in poverty. Um, many people live on like $2 a day, but they are happy. 
they're you know if you if you if you if you take a picture of them they'll they'll smile right and if you talk to them they'll say they are happy or they're thankful and um that's kind of like how filipinos are like seen as a resilient kind of people and that's also partly because we we get hit by all the typhoons before it reaches um southeast asia <laughs> so we're used to getting uh getting hit a lot by uh adversity so um yeah um if i could add more you know i could but i'm i'm kind of like running out of things to to say so if anybody wants to add something else yeah i i want to say something yeah. a little bit um i remember in the last space um we talked about like how how there's still a lot of bitcoin activity here it's just that you don't hear about it right like what you hear about are play to earn nfts and while that is you know certainly quite popular um there is more bitcoin activity than that it seems and and when lucas mentioned that it's the same with uh vietnam it's like there are people who are buying a lot of bitcoin but they don't say anything i i realized something after the space and i think it's because corruption is a if you know part of life here right like a, a corruption in the government and and oftentimes you get harassed more when when you when you think or when people think you're wealthy and so keeping it mum is normal like not sticking your head above the crowd so that you're not noticed is very normal and i'm guessing i'm i'm, I'm guessing it's it's very similar for our neighbors as well Yeah, I lost all my bitcoins in a boating accident. That's really <laughs> unfortunate. Yeah, me too. Yeah, <laughs> that's how it is here. <laughs> it, the the expression actually comes from the Philippines. Right? <laughs> There's a lot of islands, so yeah, it's very plausible that you were on a boat. Um, would you guys want to share a little bit about like the early days of Bitcoin in the Philippines and how? Uh, how it's progressed, um, and then we arrive at present day. What's happening and what can be done, and these things. Uh, early days, um, yeah. So, like I said, early back in the day, there was a Philippine Bitcoin Philippines Facebook group, and there was like three hundred members, and uh, it was a very small community, um, and it was mostly people talking about Bitcoin and kind of like the stuff that we love to talk about about bitcoin and because of the because of the initiative of, of several people including you know uh, myself and some other startups that started in the philippines we actually one of the first countries where uh, bitcoin startups started popping out and um, filipinos started to become aware of this And also, interestingly, uh, we approached, we formed a group called the Bitcoin Organization of the Philippines back in 2014. And it was really just kind of like a, a group so that the industry could get together and approach the central bank to help regulate the businesses that are that want to do it legally in the Philippines. So we started that um, and 
we had this, we initiated the conversation with the central bank, Philippine Central Bank. And it took about three years of back and forth, you know, technical working groups, um, how to do it, how to do it right. And during that three years, we still kept on doing our Bitcoin startup. And so did Ramon, and so did Coins.ph, and so did all the other startups that were around back then. And, you know, pretty much just thinking, like, we could just ask for forgiveness later if, if, we, if we do something wrong. But let's just do it without asking for permission. And um, the central bank came out with the, one of the first central bank regulations in the world um, with guidelines on how to do a Bitcoin or virtual currency exchange business in the Philippines. And uh, my company was one of the first two that got it in 2017. Uh, so this actually just allowed us to legally offer buying and selling Bitcoin to Filipinos. Um, and, you know, interestingly, like coins.ph, which was like uh, the most popular Bitcoin wallet back then, at this point already had about 5 million users. So that's actually pretty good. If you consider uh, that's about 5% of the population already download a wallet that could that they could buy and sell Bitcoin in and they could send and receive Bitcoin with, right? And um, I think Ramon would be able to also attest to this, that during this time, there was like this huge influx of remittances. There, there were articles on different publications about how uh, the startups in the Philippines, in the Bitcoin startups in the Philippines, have captured a large chunk, almost like a double-digit percentage chunk of the remittance market from South Korea to the Philippines. And um, and these are like billion-dollar, two-billion-dollar annual uh, remittances, right? So it wasn't it wasn't a small amount. People were actually sending tens of millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin to us. And we would exchange it and deliver it to Filipinos all over the Philippines. So there was this kind of use case there. And then, <laughs> and then the 2017 came and the ICO boom happened. And I would say, I think that it, it like kind of like pushed us backward a little bit because a lot of people now want to have their own token or want to do an ICO or want to know what next coin will go like 1000x. Um, but that's, uh, I'm, I'm already like um, going off on a tangent there. Maybe we could talk about that a little bit more later. But yeah, if, if Ramon, you want to add some more stuff to this? Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, Miguel's right. There, there was a lot of uh, volume from, from South Korea and um, like you, you even had some bank, like Philippine bank employees. So, so it was a Philippine bank and they had an employee in South Korea. They would remit through like using Bitcoin because it was cheaper to do it via Bitcoin than using their bank, right? Their employer. So, so it was, it was stories like that, 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 um, helped us continue on. But, you know, one thing we noticed also is that typically remittances are expensive not because of a technological issue, but because of all everything in between that people are trying to do, whether that's, um, you know, all, all the KYC that has to happen or all the regulation. That's when 
you know, that, that's, that's the reason why remittances from South Korea um, were, were expensive and Bitcoin got around for a while, but then it didn't. And that was around 2017, 20, 2018 as well. So, so the, the ICO, um, it, it coincided with, a, with the ICO, ICO boom. Just to add a little bit to that, like um, during this time, that was also when all the governments in the world started to crack down on crypto slash including Bitcoin, of course. And uh, a lot of our partners in South Korea had to shut down until they got a license. So it affected our business uh, a lot. And, you know, it was kind of like really detrimental to the to the explosive growth that we were having over the last three years. And kind of like dropped off all of a sudden during that time. Yeah, and this is why, uh, you know, we can go to this later, but the, this is why the circular economy really interests me. Because once you have that, then the payments essentially become peer-to-peer, right? Yes, it, it, it's, it's going to take a lot to get there, but, you know, it, it is possible. It's been done before. So, Miguel, is this why um, this is actually... the exactly what i was thinking about when when you when you said it is this why you ended up shifting between different startups basically there was these regulations that just killed uh your flow but was it also the same thing that happened um for other startups in the space were there many others that were also affected and it was like a recession in bitcoin businesses in the philippines so in terms of like doing the money transfer thing, yes, it really affected it. Like I would say it almost killed it. And the the plus side though was there was a boom in actual trading, in actual buying and selling, in actual hodling of Bitcoin and also of, of other cryptocurrencies. Um, a lot of our transaction volume shifted from money transfer to trading, to brokerage, to exchange. And um, honestly, in this industry, that's where all the money is being made. Even the money transfer business is an exchange in the back end. They're just simply selling Bitcoin to us and we're, we're delivering the money to someone else. So it is an exchange, um, one-sided, right? And eventually, we also have to sell those Bitcoins to make money, right? So for the company to become profitable. So we are, at the very essence, every Bitcoin business is an exchange. and. Um, yeah, during the time when we were shifting different different uh, startups, it was actually all under one umbrella and we were just trying different things. But one thing we noticed like early on is that the focus was on merchants. So BitPay came out, merchant acceptance was the big deal. This company accept Bitcoin, this company accept Bitcoin, boom, price goes up. And this was the reason why Bitcoin pumped. And then people started realizing that people don't want to spend Bitcoin. Because of Gresham's law, right? Like the bad money wants to get spent first and people will spend dollars or pesos or fiat currencies before they spend their Bitcoin. And so that's why we needed to shift. And that's why we shift to money transfer. And then later on, the the regulations came, cracked down and we shifted to exchange. So yeah, you kind of like have to be really uh, nimble and adaptable if you're a startup, especially in this space. Yes. Um, and, and the thing is, like, even if the, the central bank here, you know, let's say, yes, they're a government institution. Um, so, so 
it can take a while for regulations to come out or for some clarity. But uh, it certainly seems to me that they are one of the better ones, right? Like they'll they'll listen to you, they'll listen to your concerns. Uh, they're going to take that into account, and um, and I guess relatively speaking, they they act fairly quickly, right? The Philippines being one of the first countries, first few countries in the in the world to, to at least um, regulate virtual currencies. And I think I think part of it is because they know that there is a remittance problem, and they they wanted the industry to to experiment. You know, they didn't say this, uh, like they didn't put this down on paper or anything. But but I suspect that's one of the, the reasons why the industry has been allowed to flourish here. But then again, you know, even if if a remittance or if a country like South Korea starts cracking down, it's still going to affect the remittance flow to the Philippines. But this is also a, I guess, uh, an invitation, like the, the people that, that want to come here do a circular economy or a Bitcoin business, um, it, it's fairly open here. And, and, and I suggest uh, you, you come on in and do so. Okay, with that segue, I suggest we move on to Today, Bitcoin in the Philippines. So, um, any projects going on? Any relevant topics today? Um, okay, I guess I could uh, start a little, a little bit on that. In terms of, um, of I, I'm going to go back to the startups because it's a good metric, right? The startups in the Philippines that are doing. Bitcoin uh, slash cryptocurrencies. Um, one of the exchanges here recently raised $50 million. And um, some, of the, uh, some of the exchanges have been acquired um, by much larger exchanges in the world or bigger companies. So there's this push on the ground to like, kind of like, See, they're seeing the Philippines as like a, a hotspot for for the growth of of cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin, and it, I, I would say that is actually a very accurate. Um, there's a lot of interest because I used to do, I, I've been doing, and I still do a lot of uh, Bitcoin talks. Um, for example, yesterday I did a a talk, online talk uh, for a hundred and 15 teachers professors um from a school system in the philippines and it was it was just a bitcoin 101 uh kind of thing but interestingly a lot of the questions were about nfts and a lot of the questions were about uh you know altcoins so yeah that problem still lingers around but it's it's like a it's like a good first step but compared to before when i would do these talks and maybe 10 people would attend or that would be a lot already. Um, now more people are really interested and more people are kind of like, they want to know, they want to understand, they want to learn. And um, uh, there's a push from uh, the Philippine government, actually the central bank, to turn the Philippines, they have this, digital transfers trans bleh, transformation roadmap that they they announced um that for the next three years up until 2023 they started this in 2020 
you know, they have these uh, outcomes that they want more than 50% of Filipinos to use some kind of digital payment or online payment, uh, digital money transfers and, um, you know, e-money and, of course, cryptocurrency being a part of that. And, um, you know, the our companies, the, the virtual asset service providers in the Philippines are part of this roadmap. So, yeah, there is that kind of like, push on that end um ramon i saw you like were raising your hand maybe you want to add more so so besides um exchanges abroad like i've seen also interest from a, a lot of traditional financial institutions in this space i mean yes you still have some of them and they tend to be the biggest ones right that are very allergic to it and if you put bitcoin on a deposit slip in the notes then they're going to start questioning you but there there are uh like e-wallets that are interested and have made steps like some have gotten um a licenses from the government to to be able to to dabble into this uh and and you know while uh, i'll admit that the the reason for this is probably the play-to-earn space where they noticed a lot of Filipinos, especially the young ones, right, where during the pandemic, um, they probably had nothing better to do. They started playing these play-to-earn games. Um, and and so these traditional financial institutions want some, like, want in on that action, right? They want to be part of, uh, of the tools they use to be able to get pesos finally. What's the situation with Bitcoin ATMs in the Philippines? Because some of the small islands may not have a real easy way to upload your pesos to a Lightning wallet or a Bitcoin wallet. So, you know, maybe you could touch on the topic of the availability of Bitcoin ATMs in that area. Well, they're basically non-existent. I, I think it was maybe 20... 13, um, I, I joined this group that put up a Bitcoin ATM. And, you know, like it, it felt a bit weird that you you have an ATM that people will have to physically go to just to buy and sell Bitcoin when you already kind of have that infrastructure to move money around, right? Um, perhaps we just executed wrongly, but that, that wasn't as successful as I'd hoped. Now, the problem, and this is, uh, you know, to tie it back into the, the number of islands we have here, the problem still with having ATMs um, in the different islands is that that's, it's very expensive to move cash in and out of those places, right? Like it's, it's and in some, some cases, they need to use a helicopter to bring in cash to load up an ATM or to get the cash out of it, for example. Um, yeah, ATMs, we actually brought in, I think the first one in the Philippines back in 2014, and it was one of those small, uh, small ones. And it was like, kind of like a novelty thing that we put in our office and people came and tried to use it and everything. The problem with Bitcoin ATMs is the fees are, are really high. And Ramon is right. Um, with a, with a, with a, with a geographical setup here. Uh, it's hard enough to find an ATM, an actual ATM from a bank. Um, there are more 
remittance outlets than there are ATMs in the Philippines. So when I say remittance outlets, like this is how we were able to deliver money anywhere in the Philippines through Bitcoin uh, transfers, right? So the Philippines has established this network of transferring money through tens of thousands of pawn shops, remittance centers, um, you know, little mom and pop stores, and also through the telcos. So the, the two major telcos in the Philippines, Smart and Globe, um, developed this e-money uh, system where you could, you know, in the beginning they were using SMS, so you could send money to someone. Similar to M-Pesa in uh, Kenya. It's in Kenya, right? Um, and we already have these infrastructures in place. There's there's really no need for ATMs. And yeah, ATMs could get stolen. You know, there's like the logistics uh, are a nightmare. Um, but yeah, one of the reasons why it, it, I also think that it's going to be hard to like kind of push a different system um, on people is they're already using, uh, I think one of the telco uh, e-money companies, Gcash has about, 60 million users and the other one the other telco has 40 million users so pretty much the whole philippines is using um this e-money transfer system where they could transfer a few you know pesos to each other or withdraw it in cash from any of these outlets tens of thousands of outlets in the philippines they don't have to go to an atm actually so there is kind of like already this circular economy going on with these e-monies. But at the end of the day, they're fiat money and, you know, the limits are very restrictive. But it works for daily, daily, day-to-day -day, uh, stuff for most Filipinos. So, yeah, the whole, like, the idea of teaching people about, you know, the benefits of using Bitcoin versus fiat money is really like, that's how I approach it. But it's also Again, I think it's uh, people's needs comes first. And it's mostly like kind of like a luxury for most people here now. But I think what needs to happen really, and this is like kind of like the dream scenario, is that Bitcoin becomes an underlying thing. It's not like a face-to-face, -face, you're actually using the blockchain to transfer something to someone. You're actually saving your, uh, you know, downloading your own node uh using your own node and stuff that's the that's the that's the ideal scenario but i think what's going to happen and maybe in the next decade or so i think that it's going to be a foundational thing it's going to be like an underlying thing that people don't even know they're using bitcoin or people don't even um you know the whole thing is obfuscated this is what this is what we tried to do and i think also ramon's startup tried to do it the actual senders and receivers didn't even know they were using Bitcoin. We were able to do that, and we were able to do it uh, kind of successfully. Mary, you wanted to say something, please. So um, I hope I won't be derailing the conversation, but when um, you were all talking, I remembered uh, the time when I was asking my aunt about um, about Bitcoin in the Philippines and she had this perception that Bitcoin is banned. Um, so I just wanted to know if that is true because um, based on the conversations, it seemed like it is something that 
um, everyone can have access to, but just want to know if, uh, if it's just a wrong perception that the people there have, or, mm-hmm. or maybe they're associating it with something else. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it was never banned here. We've actually been pretty open about it. Um, the government has been very accepting about it. There are several banks now that will allow you to say, hey, I'm buying Bitcoin. I need to make this deposit. Can you put this in this person's bank account? Um, not all of them, but it, it's it's kind of pretty advanced compared to other countries. And you can freely trade P2P, buy and sell, um, large amounts, small amounts, whatever amounts of Bitcoin or crypto you want with other people in the Philippines, and no one's going to come knocking at your door um, to bother you. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's totally not banned here. Yeah, so P2P um, is a, probably a pretty good way that people will be able to convert. Like if you're a, a foreigner, you come in here, you can do so uh, via, via P2P, right? Like uh, exchanges like Paxful or P2P exchanges like Paxful are pretty popular here. Yeah, I bought my first Bitcoins in, on local Bitcoins, actually. And um, that's how I met a lot of Bitcoiners in the Philippines, too, because we would meet up with them in a coffee shop and do the exchange <laughs> there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think cash cash exchanges, uh, and I don't do P2P very... Uh, I, don't, I haven't done P2P in a long time, but I, I think lately there haven't been a lot of cash uh, exchanges because, you know, Gcash... Uh, Paymaya, those are e-wallets. They're they're quite popular, and then the banks are also more open to it, right? That's quite that's quite a relief. Uh, <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. Um, so another question I have is, um, how do the old people take um, Bitcoin? Like, what's the perception of Bitcoin there? Um, I know that with the youths, you know, especially like because we are so like in tune with technology um, and what's happening. And in tech, um, we feel a lot, lot closer to trying things like Bitcoin. But like, how about the old people? Because, you know, ideally, if I want to send money home to family, it's definitely going to be to the elderly. So like, how do they take Bitcoin? And um, is the process easy for them when it comes to like, you know, setting up their own wallet or buying Bitcoin from their end? I would say, no, it's not going to be easy for them, um, for, for older people, because then they'd still have to handle the Bitcoin separately. And I think this is like key to Bitcoin adoption here. Um, if, you want, if, if we want more people to, to be using it, then I, we'll ju- I think we'll have to admit, at least for a while, maybe not forever, we'll have to concede to the fact that they're going to be using it um, invisibly, right? That's part of the system. Maybe that's how the how value is moved around. But um, I, I think for the older folks, I, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think they're going to be like one of the last ones to actually get to learn how to use it. Maybe conceptually they'll get it, but to, to learn how to use it, they'll be one of the last ones. Yeah, I mean, um, my mom just like a couple of years ago learned how to use Facebook and she's like, can't get enough of it, right? Um, but she also owns uh, 
some bitcoins because of me that she bought in 2013 actually she's still holding on to it because she doesn't know how to use it she wouldn't know how to sell it if she needed to um but um yeah in terms of that i think that's more of a education problem not really education because a lot of people and this is what i discovered about myself when i discovered bitcoin is that i'm illiterate about money and i don't really know anything about it like i didn't care to learn i didn't care to understand and this is how i see most people now i see myself in that position before i learned about bitcoin and i dove into how money works most people don't understand how money works and that's why it's going to be hard to push bitcoin or any kind of thing about money a lot of filipinos you know we only had like 3% credit card penetration up until like a couple of years ago and uh before the pandemic only 2% of the economy was digital 98% was done in cash so there is a fear of being not being able to touch your money the pandemic actually one of the good things about it if i could say that was that it forced people to use digital money even though it's not bitcoin it was mostly e money from the telcos and these other e money solutions the good thing about this is and i think this is kind of like a meet halfway kind of thing the two biggest telcos in the philippines one of them recently got a virtual asset service provider license from the central bank and i have been privy to conversations and meetings with both of these telcos and you know their top level uh, management about integrating bitcoin and crypto and this is already public knowledge now but last year when we were talking about it they had really genuine curiosity um about how they will be able to add crypto bitcoin under the out of these cryptocurrency related services in their app which already has 100 million users combined right ramon um yeah i think this is this is the way like i guess a, a trojan horse right like uh they're going to they're curious first on how to get this on their apps because they can see that there's demand and the demand is growing until now right for crypto in general um but but then it the if um and and I'm going to say this because there there are who are there are companies who are interested in doing so of like integrating with bitcoin in such a way that like cash app or strike us then they see the benefits of how of being connected to this global settlement instant global settlement network um and and i think this is something that filipino companies acutely are acutely aware of because remittances is, is such a big thing here so they they understand that this starts to step into the remittance space and the remittance pie is huge here right as as unsexy as it seems to maybe us because we've been hearing about it for so long it's still huge here yeah i think one of the uh, biggest problems uh, as we're talking about you know the elders trying to learn it and the young people kind of continuing to jump on it and things like that um a lot of the filipinos when i speak to them in you know any of the countries i've been to is when i approach them person to person they really sort of kind of like oh okay it's just another money scam or this or that but when you actually really start to show them the communities such as bitcoin beach bitcoin beach brazil there's bitcoin jungle in costa rica lake bitcoin in guatemala 
when you actually show them the communities, they get that. Like that's Filipinos are very community driven. And when they see that, like, it actually is spreading in small communities, it, it takes it away from like person to person where they're like, wow, like there there are actual communities really on this circular economy. And I think that's a big step in getting people to understand it where you're not just approaching them one to one. And that's what I have found with a lot of the Filipinos that I meet overseas. It's like you really just show them the, the community angle. You know, in America, we're much more individualistic. But in the Philippines, it really is community driven. And that kind of like, I think, helps them mentally cross that bridge. Like, oh, OK, this is bigger than just the individual. So that's like an angle when I speak to a lot of Filipinos. I really try to express that to them. And it really clicks, I think, with them. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why. And uh, sadly, it's not Bitcoin, but the whole Axie Infinity craze exploded in the Philippines uh, last couple of years. You have this community kind of based uh, grassroots um, movement on play to earn, right? So it's not Bitcoin, but kind of like, again, what Ramon said, like a Trojan horse, a lot of these people will eventually get to touch on Bitcoin and probably like a lot of us start with the other stuff and then move to Bitcoin when you really understand it. So, you know, hopefully in the in the general sense of it, they get to understand cryptocurrency. They get to understand how the whole thing works. And then hopefully some of them will see Bitcoin the way we see it and, you know, become Bitcoiners. So um, I think I could should share something. Um, so relating to the Axie Infinity craze. So my mom is a Filipino and I don't know where she found this or heard about it, but I think it's probably on while she was on Facebook and um, she saw that her relatives, you know, um, family members, rather cousins and all that, they were do, playing this play to earn games. Um, and she kept disturbing myself and my sister, like, please, I want to help, help me find a game that I could play because she was a huge gamer my mom loves playing games so she, she was like help me find a game that i can play um and coincidentally um like about a, some weeks or, or to a month uh i came across some bitcoin games um here on twitter and i i don't know maybe i maybe you've heard of them um they're called thunder games and so i introduced my mom to thunder games and she downloaded like i helped her download like about two or three games and um, as she started playing she that's how she earned her first set of sats because um, they pay in sats at the end of like the 24-hour period and uh, interestingly she earned a thousand sats at once I don't know how she did it because every other person in my house that started playing the games only <laughs> earned like about like um, 15 sats or whatever but she earned like a thousand sats. And ever since then, like every single day she comes to me and she's like, please, can you check how many Satoshis I made today? <laughs> um, so, you know, just tying that in with um, what was said earlier and, oh, and let me just, and then I want to agree with Dustin regarding the community aspect, because like there's a huge Filipino community in Nigeria where I live, like to the point where, they're so organized that they literally divided 
Lagos state, which is the state I live in Nigeria, into barangays. Like, and each barangay has their own like um, captain or mayor or something. Um, so, which is especially the reason why I'm very um, curious about remittances and how we can do that with Bitcoin, because I and my family are connected to the Filipino community here. If we figure out how we can send money to our family using Bitcoin, um, that's what I'd love to hear um, from Miguel, according, you know, about his um, about the innovation and the company that you have. Because if we are able to to figure this out and actually successfully send money to family in the Philippines using Bitcoin, immediately I know my mom, my mom, my dad will tell the Filipino community here in Lagos, and that is the system that they'll start using um, to send money to their family in the Philippines. Because currently, like they pay about five uh, percent. Uh, should I call it interest to an exchanger here? Um, so they're like, there's like someone on the ground that they pay, like they 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 send transfer um, the local equivalent of the dollar that they want to send. So if they want to send like fifty dollars, they have to pay it in the local currency in naira, adding with a fifty percent um, markup. So that the person there who's exchanging it would like um, get like a financial benefit from the money that they're sending, um, and I know that if we figure if I'm able to do this successfully and send um, money to a family member in the Philippines, I know that because the community is very strong here, it's going to be like sending money via Bitcoin would be like the next order of the day. Well. We did that, and we for many years we we tried to provide that solution where people could send Bitcoin. And the evolution of our business back then started with Bitcoin users from all over the world who already understood and knew how to use Bitcoin and understood the volatility and understood all of these things. Could send money to the Philippines to someone in the Philippines, and we guaranteed the exchange rate upon locking of the the transfer. Right, so that's one thing. So they were like, okay, we'll send $200 worth of Bitcoin. Here's one Bitcoin. Okay, lock it in. So we need to send that, that Bitcoin right away. So, or at least like exchange, <laughs> sell the Bitcoin right away so we don't lose money on our end. But on the, on the receiver side, they'll get $200 worth of, uh, or $200 in pesos. Um, so that's one side. We're, we're the last mile in the Philippines. We kind of like had that figured out. And even now, it would be easy for you even to... I still have people that say, Miguel, can I send Bitcoin to you? And can you send money to someone else? And I still do that for them, but on a personal level. But um, so that's how that... If you look at it from a high level, that's how it worked. And then we figured out, like back in, like with the South Korea thing, how to partner with people on the first mile. So two sides of the problem um, are being solved, right? So now the sender doesn't need to know or understand what Bitcoin is about. They could just go to some someone or a place or, or an establishment and say, here's $200. Please send 10,000 pesos to this person in the Philippines. And 
that person would send Bitcoin to us and we would turn it into Philippine pesos. So this was kind of like the system and how it worked. Um, and that was like pre-regulation, pre-crackdown and all that stuff, right? But so you can you can understand how it gets a bit a little bit complicated, right? Because number one, the volatility. Ideally, if somebody sends just Bitcoin to someone, it could change in value within a few minutes. And that's not ideal, especially if that person, you know, only earns $500 a month and they're sending half of it for, you know, bills and food and all of these things. If it drops by 5%, 10%, then they're, they're screwed, right? So, um, again, I think it, 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 will, it will boil down to how we can seamlessly integrate Bitcoin in the existing system or, or maybe someone will create a whole new system. But, for example... A lot of people use Gcash, and when the time comes, not if, they already said they're going to do it, you could actually receive Bitcoin in your Gcash wallet or receive it through a third party. And then the person receiving it who already has a Gcash account can just switch it to Pesos within the, within the app, right? So that's, I think, that's one of the, one of the things that needs to happen for this to become... Um, viable but yeah sending bitcoin to someone and then expecting them to exchange that into pesos in time before the price moves either up or down is it's not going to be easy but but mary it is possible right like all, all the current exchanges that that uh do it now can can be used but there's there is a learning curve yeah yeah sorry um that's right it's actually this is probably the, one of the easiest countries to do it already. So um, they would just have to to probably download some app, like a very specific app, and be able to understand how to exchange the Bitcoin into pesos within that app. So Miguel, um, I was silent because you were doing such a great job asking questions. So I ask a question back to you: What? Do you think we haven't covered um, that maybe we should talk about? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Actually, we've been we've been covering a lot of ground. I think uh, it's a it's a fairly uh, comprehensive um, view. I think of uh, what what it's like down here in terms of like Bitcoin adoption, acceptance, and the networks that allow uh, us to transfer, receive, and move money around using Bitcoin. And also on the community side. So, yeah, I mean, if any, anybody else, like Dustin, you, you want to add something? Yeah, I just wanted to kind of ask on the individual level from some of you guys who are currently on different islands in the Philippines, how much of initiative are we taking on sharing resources and really doing like community meetups? You know, does it, is it worth your guys' time to, you know, continue to do meetups? Is it still a little early, like not a large enough audience? Um, you know, what are what are some of the individuals here doing about really getting out in the community? Or what are your feelings on the effectiveness of meetups? Um, I'll start off on this, Roman. You can maybe like <laughs> uh, support me on some of the stuff. But we've been doing a lot of meetups from like as early as 2013. and it got to a point where we would have a meetup with like 150 people for, for a weekday evening. 
um, and we would have to hire venues and you know this was in uh, like right around 2017 2018 and the meetup community here was pretty active um, but it, it covid of course like killed that like totally killed that and um, we just recently started to get back into that groove. So um, I think somebody organized a crypto meetup, not a Bitcoin meetup, but that was well attended recently. So Ramon is one of the organizers of one of the Bitcoin meetups here in Manila. And I, I've attended a couple of them before. So I don't know, Ramon, are you looking to start yeah, face-to-face right. meetups again? Uh, no, not yet. And um, interestingly, like a lot of people that join are are not in Makati. So I, I, I host the, the Makati Bitcoiners meetup every other week. Currently, that's every other Wednesday morning, Philippine time. And, you know, you could see that, that the Bitcoin meetup, the, the birth of that meetup coincided with my sudden like loss of interest in everything else but bitcoin right i i miss the good old days miguel when bitcoin meetups were about bitcoin <laughs> so yeah <laughs> no more <laughs> yeah so that's why i started this and you know occasionally yes you're gonna you're gonna get people who come in and they're gonna be talking about whatever luna or something like that um, you know, I, I am not. Uh, I don't shut them down immediately, but but I I always attempt to steer the conversation back to Bitcoin, and I make it clear that the meetup is about Bitcoin, right? And and how people here use it. Um. So so that that I, you know, I invite everyone who's interested to join that. That's currently held uh, over Zoom. Uh, if you search meetup.com, you'll you'll see that happening. But I'm I'm happy to hear that the physical ones are starting up again. Yeah, yeah, there was one um, last week by Raf Padilla. Uh, I think it's the Manila Crypto something. So it's not a Bitcoin meetup, but it's a good sign. <laughs> Observation on meetups. So we did a French space and uh, they were talking about how they had to eventually... Um, escape from the original meetup and make a small new enclave because the the original meetups tended to become shitcoinized <laughs> so they, they had to escape and uh, i also talked to dominic um, uh, founder of Bit, uh, bitcoin saigon uh, the community there and he's running weekly meetups and once the bull cycle gets really hot uh, he stops communicating the meetups completely because they just get ruined by people coming and asking random questions about other coins. Yeah, I, I can totally relate. I mean, a lot of that stuff uh, I would see appear in the in the Bitcoin meetups, but I, I guess I try to be as clear as I can that that uh, I, I started it because I was interested in in how people used Bitcoin and what they were curious about. Bitcoin. So so I guess it is possible, but we have like maybe three to eight people that attend. Occasionally we get to 10. Um, but, you know, over Zoom, that starts to degrade pretty bad unless the experience starts to get pretty bad unless you have some kind of schedule, unless there's some schedule. But, a lot, but oftentimes I don't like have something to, to present in a, in a more formal way. 
But occasionally I do. Uh, you know, I, I heard about this global BTC Fest from uh, Jair or Jair that attended from Japan, right? So he's a, a Venezuelan working in, in Japan and he searched meetup.com and found that and joined. And I was explaining how Lightning works on a high level there. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I have I have one question that I I'm sure a lot of people have heard that the Philippines are like the hotbed of play to earn mania. Uh, I don't know how the mania is going right now, but um, that's what I've I've heard. I'm not sure it's fully true. Um, a lot of people in the Philippines have just stopped working and sitting and, and harvesting and working in these games instead, making money there. Is, is this true? Partly. Uh, maybe last couple of years, like early, late 2020, early 2021, when the price of everything was going up and people were earning, getting rich, <laughs> um, a lot of people became sponsors or uh, sponsored scholars. They called them scholars. And it's it costs a lot of money to start a, an Axie team, right? I think like something like six hundred dollars or something. So most people would have a sponsor and they would share these profits. And I know people that sponsor dozens, if not even hundreds, of scholars to play for them, and they would earn. And honestly, and this is from my point of view, and I don't know if this is anecdotal and if reflects on the whole thing, but a lot of them are now not playing. And a lot of them, because of how much SLP dropped, um, lost money or are losing money. Um, the, it's just not as profitable as it used to be. And, you know, I don't know if it's going to go back up, if it's going to become popular again. But um, I think there's still a lot of people, a lot of people playing. Um, I think we had the statistic where we had 2 million active MetaMask users. And I would I would expect that this is because of Axie Infinity slash play to earn. So it's not like all of them just suddenly stop, stop playing. But you can imagine um, with the drop of like, I don't know, was it 80% or 90% or something? Um, yeah, the currency itself, um, people that held it, uh, expecting it to go up to... You know, several dollars are now experiencing what most of us have experienced before in this in this world that we live in, in the Bitcoin world. And yeah, if you don't have the the guts to withstand these kinds of drops, which most of them actually don't, because they actually expect this money to be useful to them at some point in the future. You know, you get a lot of people dropping off of of it, and you know the people that came in, and because it was kind of like fatty. But I think, honestly, I think there's a potential in this, in play to earn. There should be, it's like a, it's like a good starting point. And it gives us a, an idea uh, or a glimpse of what other applications are possible with Bitcoin and, you know, cryptocurrencies. Like, not just finance, right? Not just money transfers, not just, um, not just those things. It could be in gaming, it could be in other things, I think. Uh, yeah, Ramon, go ahead. Yeah, I. Um, so, so the thing is, like, I, I guess by the time Axie came out, I was already like even deeper in the Bitcoin rabbit hole. So I, I kind of knew that 
that it wasn't going to last forever. And indeed, when the price dumped, it's like people stopped playing it, right? So it showed you that people were playing it not for the game, um, but to make money. And and the thing is, it's like the, the game makers, they, they control the supply, right? They can change the game rules and they can tweak it in a, in a way to discourage certain types of gamers. And, and you know, this happened with, with WoW too. So I, I do think that, that there, there is a, like, like what Mary said, you know, using Thunder games, that is a, a quite an interesting entry. Um, you know, I would like to see more activity here, there, um, with, with regard to pushing, like you earning sats when you play a game, when you play a game. And I think the difference here is that you don't have a, the game maker con- essentially controlling the supply. Yeah, we did a space, uh, not global Bitcoin fest, but one of my friends is a game, um, game developer and uh, he has a game engine company and uh, he doesn't know anything about Bitcoin or crypto or what's what's what. So um, we did a space only talking about uh, gaming and, and uh, Bitcoin versus shitcoin. And we had some, uh, we had um, some Bitcoin uh, gaming platform um, people speaking and basically battling it out. It was quite interesting how uh, how the space is uh, still experimental and this there's um yeah pe- people are really exploring there what kind of dynamics can be more sound and it sounded like actually the uh bitcoin gaming um is attracting a lot of users because people are uh, making real money so um that recording is going to come out um we've been delaying it a little bit but it should come out soon uh, if anyone is interested um presidente sherwin hey. is intending to become um the president uh, <laughs> the bitcoin president of the philippines i think this is the elephant in the room we have to talk about this before sure. we hang up um w- what's your ambition here you go into to the philippines and uh, what how are you taking the presidential palace so thank you so much. Uh, but, you know, I am not physically in the Philippines yet. I will be in the next few days. Um, so the whole idea that I was planning uh, is basically what I'm doing is I was, I've been a nurse for over the last decade. Um, and, um, you know, that's just so funny because like uh, the space is about the Philippines and there's just so many Filipino nurses, uh, just like how Miguel and I were uh, mentioning earlier that we're exporting people. Uh, from the Philippines over here, like my parents, both of them were nurses. I, I like thinking about Bitcoin and not only for what it is, but what it can do. Um, so basically, that's what I did. I took Bitcoin, I made it my life. Um, I'm going to go over there. And since I'm quitting my full time job as a nurse, I'm going to be doing full time Bitcoin mining. Um, so that that would be my my main source of income uh, doing that. And in the middle of all of this, this is where I hope that, you know, I can collaborate with so many of you, uh, like Miguel, Ramon, uh, Dustin. And um, just so in an idealistic sense, I think that, you know, 
for what Bitcoin is worth. It's it's an amazing technology. And I think that it goes beyond technology and transcends that into what we can do for it for a country. Um, within the next decade, I hope that uh, we can do something with this. I think we can um, follow the blueprint of El Salvador. I hope that it starts with Cloud21. Thanks, Dustin. And, you know, I think that if in time I think we get this to become legal tender, then I don't know. I mean, I, I just hope to be a, an instrumental agent in, in that change. And uh, that's what I'm leaving my life in America behind for. And that's what I'm here for. So thank you so much for having us, Lucas. Thank you, El Presidente. <laughs> so with that, I suggest we um, do a round wrap-up uh, thoughts by each speaker. And uh, Ramon, uh, would you like to go first? Some thoughts, um, anything you want to say as a round roundup uh, for this conversation? Yeah, um, I, I am... I guess every day I get more bullish, not just about Bitcoin, but also about how it could be used here in the Philippines. Uh, and and yeah, everything about it, like I, I think that all these angles, uh, I would like them to be to be tried out, you know, circular economy or using it as a, a backbone infrastructure to move value around, to allow even the two major wallets to send value to one another because they currently can't. Um, and 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 it's looking like things are going that direction. And I'm I'm really excited. Thank you for for hosting this. Thank you for bringing everybody together, Ramon. Super awesome. And Mary, all the way from Nigeria, half Filipina, and uh, super awesome. Uh, so nice to see you again. Please uh, share some thoughts. Um, anything. All right. Thank you so much, um, Lucas. So, well, this was quite enlightening for me. And um, what my my thoughts would be that I believe that Philippines peculiarities will bring about interesting use cases of Bitcoin. And it's be exciting to see how it will evolve. Um, I feel that as more people start learning more about Bitcoin, how it works, and also as more Bitcoin projects or Bitcoin related projects begin to spring up, um, I believe that more people will find their unique place in the Bitcoin ecosystem in the Philippines. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, Mary. Dustin Watchman. Hey. Hey, so yeah, thank you definitely for hosting this. It's been very enlightening and uh this next decade is going to be life-changing for anybody that gets involved with Bitcoin. So I'm, I'm happy to, you know, have this time to discuss these things with you guys and kind of join the team. And I just believe that this truly is on a global scale, the world is massively changing and we are, you know, part of an incredible mission just to continue education on Bitcoin. And so I'm very proud to be a part of that. And uh, I definitely appreciate you hosting this space and, Giving, giving us all a, a voice. Yay. Presidente uh, Shervin, um, hey. did, uh, was that your roundup or you want to do a second roundup? 
Oh, um, yeah, I'll, I'll go on for like another minute. Um, but I think on behalf of Dustin and I, the new guys on the block, um, and Bubba as well down there, thank you guys so much for, um, I'm talking about Miguel and Ramon. Uh, you guys seem like the OGs and, you know, thank you so much, uh, for what you have done and hopefully we can continue the good work. Um, on behalf of Lucas and I, um, Thank you, Mary, for having us on your podcast. Uh, both episodes are up. Uh, Lucas, I have yet to listen to yours, so that should be very interesting. And um, on behalf of all of us, uh, I just want to say, again, thank you to Lucas and Global BTC Fest for uh, hosting this space and uh, giving us all a platform, just like Dustin said. Thank you so much. Boom. Thank you, Sherman, El Presidente, Miguel. I'm really thankful that you guys invited me here. Um... It's really refreshing <laughs> to uh, to talk about Bitcoin and you know just focus on Bitcoin and how it's so important. And like Ramon said, sometimes I try to be not bullish about Bitcoin, but it's just not possible because once you get that, <laughs> once you get that click, once it connects, right? Once it once you make that connection and once you make the you know. The thing about Bitcoin is the deeper you dive, the more you try to dissect it, the more you try to break it down, the more the more convinced you'll become that this is it. Like this works and it will work. And it it nothing can stop it. Like it's really unstoppable. And I really believe that. And that's why I don't really mind all of this crypto stuff and all the faddish stuff. Um I'm pretty sure some of them will stick. Some of them will have some really interesting use cases that are not possible with Bitcoin right now. But eventually, and that's the beautiful thing about Bitcoin, it, it can just wait. It has the luxury of time. And it's as long as each block keeps getting added to the chain every 10 minutes, we're good. Like it doesn't even need to do anything else. It just needs to do this reliably. It just needs to do this consistently. And people will start to understand that this is the one. This is the way. Like this is... This is what works. And all the other things are kind of like a little bit distracting and, you know, have ulterior motives, right? So, yeah, the, with the Philippines, I think we, we're we uh, we're way behind on a lot of things in the Philippines. I think we're like 20 years behind on technology and, you know, in terms of like economy, we're, we're still like an emerging economy. And um, it's very exciting that, half of the people here are are young people like more than 50 million filipinos are under 24 or 25 and we have one of the fastest growing if not the fastest growing smartphone penetration we have a hundred more than a hundred percent mobile phone penetration every single filipino has a mobile phone our internet penetration is growing also at a very very fast rate where i think we're at 70 something percent right now so you know it's cooking right and we're we're in a position right now where we can actually see it happen and unfold in real time and um yeah i think the philippines will become a major powerhouse in uh, the world of bitcoin and um in general like cryptocurrencies and again you know i don't really see anything wrong with that because i think that eventually everything will gravitate towards bitcoin and you know you just have to be um objective and and um smart about it and uh you don't have a choice like it's it's a black hole right 
and it will suck all the value out of all the other things eventually. So, yeah, thank you for having me here, and um, I'm glad I could have an outlet to, uh, you know, express my bullishness about Bitcoin. <laughs> thank you, Miguel, and hey, thank you, everybody. Um, I really enjoyed listening to you guys, uh, especially when Miguel took the reins and started asking the questions like a real local. And when you start asking each other questions, then I could just sit back and enjoy listening to you. So thank you very much for that. That was super awesome jamming. And with that, I... Just want to share a couple of words about Global Bitcoin Fest before we wrap up. We're a group, group of plebs. We enjoy these kind of conversations. We enjoy learning about local Bitcoin communities, what's happening on the ground, what's the history, who are these people, what's the Twitter handles so that we can connect with them and establish relationships. And if we want to go there, just like, El Presidente and Dustin here are planning to do, uh, we can connect and we can build bridges across Bitcoin communities all over the world. So that's what we enjoy doing and listening to. And it keeps happening in those spaces. So thank you very much, everybody, for joining and sharing all your knowledge. And if you can, please unmute and share how do you say goodbye in Tagalog? Or maybe if there's some other language, because there's so many languages in, in the Philippines, um, uh, please bring it on. How do you say goodbye? Well, 95% um, of Filipinos actually speak English, so we just say bye. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, we also have like a Tagalog version where you kind of like say bye-bye, <laughs> but in, spelled in Tagalog. And there's a deeper one where you say palam, meaning you're ask you're going to leave. You're kind of like asking permission to leave. Yeah, ingat, which means uh, take care. Also, ingat, yeah, yeah, ingat, ingat, palam. Okay, let's say it together, everybody. Ingat, guys, ingat, palam, salamat, 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 cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Global Bitcoin Fest. Celebrate Bitcoin adoption with Bitcoin communities worldwide.